Welcome back to episode number 207 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and issues handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we have on very special guest, Roger Guerra, Business Development Manager for NILFISC, and he's based out of Miami, Florida, and covers the Eastern Coast for NILFISC in their Eastern Division. Uh, we're talking about portable vacuum systems, and in particular, facts and myths around certification of these systems, when they can be used, what kind of requirements there are. And I'm really happy to welcome Roger to the show. Thank you for coming on today. Chris, thanks for having me, man. It's awesome what you're doing and kind of all the information that you get out there. Um, I get your emails every week. So it was definitely cool when I got the, uh, the ping from marketing that you wanted to discuss some of these topics. So definitely appreciate you uh, having me on. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, it warms my heart a bit to hear that. I know we have a lot of people that are tuning in weekly to the Instant Newsletter, to the podcast themselves, like they're listening today, to the Dust Safety Academy, using Dust Safety Professionals. We're really trying to create this uh, ecosystem, I guess, for combustible dust. And one of the things I came across doing our research was this downloadable resource. I think it's called Combustible Dust Myth-Busting Guide, The Facts You Need to Stay Safe, and that was put out by Neil Fisk. And when I download it, like I usually do, I, I print it, I put it in a stack on my desk, and when I have time, I, I read through the great material that's created by our community. But this one really kind of jumped out to me because I had a lot of really great information around portal vacuum systems. It does cover, say, central vacuum systems as well, but the good information that I really took away from it was more on these portable systems, talking about requirements through the NFPA standards, talking about differences between what kind of systems are needed in unclassified areas and classified areas, pneumatic and electrical systems, different terminology that you might see out there in the market. And there's just, I don't know, one, two, three, four. I checked a bunch of points that were very educational, said, I got to get them on the podcast. So I reached out to Nilfisk. They're also a, a member with Dusty Professionals as well. And, and that's where I ended up getting to you, Roger, and, and having a good chat on this topic today. Yeah, which is awesome. I'm glad that you were able to that awareness is being raised and that we uh, were able to get some some valuable information out there that made its way to you. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to cover in this episode NFPA requirements for cleaning combustible dust, difference between unclassified and classified areas or hazardous areas, pneumatic and electrical systems, and talk a bit about the certification process in general for portable or, or mobile vacuum systems. And again, this comes from a lot of the material that was in this combustible dust myth busting guide. If you want to get access to the guide, you can go to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 207 for this episode, and we'll have a way to get that guide there. Or, and I would encourage you to do this, just email Roger directly. We'll have a way to contact him in the show notes as well. See as the, the answers to a lot of these questions can help you along. Kind of talking and just getting started here, what is your, your role in the industry's handling combustible dust today, Roger? Um, so yeah, so I took over the role as business development manager July 1st this year. So in my previous role, I was an industrial vacuum manager, which I covered originally the whole state of Florida and Puerto Rico. So as you can tell, obviously by our business, something that NILFISC prides themselves in is their ability to handle combustible dust, the different options that we have, nomadic electrical, like you mentioned, kind of in the opening. So now in my current role, I support the entire East Coast. So we have guys who you know, might've just started selling industrial vacuums this year, who just might not be as well versed on combustible dust applications. And, you know, until you work in the industry, you don't really think of, you know, things like sugar and flour, things that when I tell my friends those are combustible, they kind of look at me kind of crazy. Uh, the more we learn about these topics, the more you know how important it is to be educated on that, to be passing that information along 
to those end users, to those facilities where they have combustible dust and either they're, you know, they're not aware of it or they're aware of it. And currently they're not doing anything to mitigate it or they're not using the right solutions to mitigate it. So my job is to kind of support the team in the field in the whole East Coast and just continuing to educate myself more on the topic so I can be as helpful as I can to to the end users and obviously the people on our team. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. And these type of documents like this this guide, I think are probably pretty helpful for that educational component. I'm sure you're, in addition to other things, handing this to your team saying, you know, here's here's kind of a breakdown. The guide's pretty helpful. Step one, understand your facilities and your responsibilities. Step two, get to know the regulations, standards, and recommendations. Step three, select the safest application, industrial vacuum for your application. And just kind of talks through these different aspects. And if you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, which we will have some people doing this as we just ran a podcast series for the Westray coal mining explosion. So we may have people that are tuning into that and then getting into these newer episodes around technical aspects. If you think of the different options to protect workers for combustible dust, you generally have prevent, protect, and isolate. On one side, then you have contain, collect, clean on the other side. So contain the dust inside the equipment, collect it using dust collection systems, and then cleaning the dust that still does escape into the atmosphere. What we're talking about today is this aspect of how to safely clean that combustible dust and also how to do in a way that the vacuum system itself doesn't become a hazard in the areas that you're using that vacuum system. We're going to get into a couple different things into that area with Roger here. Maybe a good place to jump in is, you know, as per NFA 654, what are the requirements for this cleaning of combustible dust? Let's start in unclassified systems and using portable vacuum systems. Then we'll kind of talk about these different permutations that come up after that. But what are the, the requirements for cleaning combustible dust in industry today? Oh, uh, yeah. So some of that info is so like the, one of the latest revisions of the NFPA 654 added that to collect combustible dust, even in a non-rated or non-classified environment, your electrical powered vacuum cleaner must meet certain requirements. If they don't meet those requirements laid out, you are risking potential fines from OSHA and worse, a potential fire or explosion. Obviously something that, you know, you never want to be a part of, you know, you obviously send that uh, email out weekly. You never want to be one of those companies, unfortunately, in that mix. And they also say that vacuuming is the preferred method. So you got to make sure that you're using vacuum cleaners that are rated for combustible dust, even in non-rated or non-classified environments. And if you're not, they must at least follow some general specifications like design requirements. So some of those that are typically important are non-combustible construction, except for the filter. You want conductive or static dissipative hoses, including both suction and air delivery hoses. You want all conductive accessories including wands and attachments must be bonded and grounded. So that's why, you know, for us, even on our inside, we have EXP mag, which is kind of like our product line and then our non EXP mag. And part of that is to make sure that when we're quoting, we're always using those conductive accessories in even non-classified environments. So if somebody's worried about, you know, static or shocking that we're making sure that we're giving them the right tools so that they're at least as to standard as possible. Some of the other vacuum cleaner design requirements is dusty air is not to pass through the fan or blower. Electric motors must not be in the dust laden airstream unless listed for class two div one locations. No paper filter elements for liquid or wet collection. 
And then Metal Dust obviously has its own class two div one group E environment guidelines to kind of work with. Yeah, and I mentioned that, you know, this is in 6454 rather. Yep. It's also in 652. And if you go to in 654 in the 2020 edition, if you go to section 8.4.3.7, that's where it lays out these requirements for portable vacuum cleaners used in unclassified locations. Then you find the same thing in 652 under a slightly different section heading, but if you go to the host keeping section there, you can get down to the portable vacuum cleaners section inside of the methodology for housekeeping. And that goes through some of these requirements again. And you mentioned some of them, right? Materials of construction, bonding, grounding, conductive, stat, dissipative requirements on where the motor's placed in terms of the dusty air it's coming in and different requirements like that. And that's also, from, from my understanding, we're talking about unclassified location, somewhere where there's not a, a fire explosion hazard outside the vacuum. So that's actually to govern any hazards that could occur inside the system. Does that make sense as a way to describe it? And so we just lost Roger, internet connection kind of clashed there and dropped him. So we're coming back into the interview now. And the where we left off was around the difference between a, a classified location, which is an area where you have, well, we'll get into it here in a second, but enough combustible dust at a, under a normal or an abnormal condition to have a risk of a combustible dust fire and explosion. And then in unclassified location, which what we've been talking to to date or up to this point, we're really talking about the dust being inside the vacuum system. Um, Roger, I know you had a couple extra points there. So where do you want to leave off on this discussion around the requirements in these unclassified areas? Yeah, just one thing I wanted to mention is just that the reason why it's kind of set up that way where they want you to use obviously vacuums that fall under a certain standard is the intention of the requirements to provide specifications for vacuum cleaners that could be used to remove incidental amounts of combustible dust from unclassified areas in order to maintain the unclassified area designation. So it's really to make sure that you're still being able to work in that type of environment that's considered unclassified. Cause obviously once you get a certain buildup of dust that could impact the classification of that, of that environment. And that kind of leads into the next question. And so those are the requirements for this case where we can sustain a low enough dust to have it be unclassified in a case where we're, we're working in some operation where it is a classified area where there is going to be combustible dust under normal or abnormal conditions. Are there any additional requirements then for that type of portable vacuum system? Yeah, so um, when you're dealing with an area where you know there is combustible dust and you know it is a hazardous location, one of the first things I think you need to do is identify said dust. <laughs> so knowing kind of where that dust falls in terms of classification, what type of vacuum, I guess, based on the classification you're gonna need for that type of dust. So then you can at least work within those parameters and also making sure that you're you're having people, you know, whoever the ADJ is coming in to really check in on that area and confirm the classification of the area that you're working with. So you have the right equipment for those designations. Yeah, and so that makes sense. So if you have a classification for combustible dust, then you really need to have a system that's certified, I think, to be used in that type of classification. Maybe I'll grab the wording. So... Yeah, that's how that's how it's stated sort of in the FPA standards. 
Correct. Yeah. Okay. And what other, cause I mean, there's, there is some verbiage there for gases and that type of thing in the guidance document that you send. Is there additional requirements for other types of classified areas and other types of hazardous areas? So when you go into, into gases, so like butcher some of these, but hydrogen, ether, and acetylene are both groups that there are no vacuums for, unless there's something at least that we know of. Um, and none of, you know, I could speak, I guess, to us and our competitors. We don't have any vacuums that work with those types of gases. Once you get into hydrocarbons, fuel, solvents, there are some class one EXP full-blown, obviously certified vacuums that can work in those environments. But for the most part, the important thing is obviously having the right classification and the right grouping and you figuring that out with whoever you use to to figure that out, whether it's your local EHS manager, whoever that AHJ is that you get involved to kind of make that decision for your process. You want to make sure that that's clearly defined because that's obviously going to directly correlate with what vacuum you're going to select for that environment. So the important part is obviously assessing it properly, knowing kind of what environment you're walking into. And then once we have that figured out, then making sure that you're working together with the AHJ's recommendation on what vacuum you should go with. Yeah. And so what we're talking about here is I kind of want to build it up a bit, talking about, you know, the requirements of a vacuum system in general to be used to clean combustible dust. And these are the, the requirements we talked about at the start. And if you're using that vacuum system in an area that is either, you know, class two, division one, where you have ignitable concentrations of dust under normal operating conditions, or class two, div two, where you have ignitable concentrations under abnormal operation conditions, then you're going to have additional requirements on top of that. And those additional requirements then, as stated in the FPA standards, require that that system is, I believe, certified for that type of either class one, div one, or class class two, div one, or class two, div two locations. Does that sound like a good summary? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good summary. Great. So we kind of have those things. Now, there's there's other, and this is where the guidance documents started getting good for me because <laughs> uh, I get the, the classes and divs mixed up, as you probably just noticed by me trying to recite them. But then there's, a, there's other vectors. There's other variables that kind of come into play here when you start talking about portal vacuum systems. So I think the big one that's talked about quite a bit is the difference between electrical system and a pneumatic system. So just kind of in a Cole's notes version, and what are the differences between these two types of portable vacuum systems? So I would say the, well, obviously the biggest difference is one's electrical, one's operated by compressed air. The electrical machine has the ability to be certified, right? So an NRTL can go and give you certification for a machine that's going to be going into a class, you know, class one, div two or class two, div two environment. And you're going to have that certification on the unit, whether it's class two, div two, or whether it's explosion proof. When you're working with the nomadic machines, they are made to a certain standard. So they are, they are meant to be at least when the way we construct our uh, nomadic machines that are going into combustible dust environments, we have a machine that's going to be fully bonded and grounded. We're going to have a grounding strap to ensure that any charge generated within the vacuum has a clear path to the ground. We're still going to equip it with anti-static wheels and anti-static main filter that has stainless steel weave within it to conduct any static charges to the ground that could generate upon it. 
as required for ancillary equipment and components and a number of references within the NFPA standards. It should comply with the resistance rating at or below 1MQ, which I forget what the technical term for that is. I actually wrote that down somewhere, but it's a, it, I guess the, it's a technical specification that you'll find. Um, it's supposed to be constructed with low sparking metals, such as aluminum or stainless steel. So you'll find that with ours, the big things are the collect container, the inlet and the deflector are all stainless steel, since those are low sparking metals. And that's where you're really going to get kind of that high speed or that more significant friction, you wanna make sure that you're working with something that's low sparking. Um, and then obviously you wanna have a conductive airline. And as I mentioned previous, you wanna have all conductive accessories, but they're still constructed the same exact way, right? The biggest difference really is just that certification because one has an electrical component that needs to be certified to play in those environments. And yeah, I think that's the part that was kind of eye-opening reading through the guide for me was the, I guess, the availability of the different certifications. Like right now for electrical systems, there are, you mentioned NRTLs, which are notified bodies that can do the type of testing that is required. There are certifications for electrical systems, but at the moment there is no certification for pneumatic systems. Is that the, the what's kind of saying in the guide? Yeah, that is correct. At least here in the in the U.S., there is no certification for nomadic systems. So that's why you can see people, people like to play loose, loose with how they describe their nomadic units. And that's sort of what you're saying too, is that Nilfis does sell pneumatic systems as well. And they actually are certified in, so now I gotta be careful with my words. <laughs> They're certified to other standards outside of North America. When I say Correct. certified, they meet the minimum requirements of those standards outside of North America. They're not necessarily certified systems inside North America because the NRTLs, the notified bodies that would certify that equipment, don't have testing, don't have op options to actually certify that equipment here in North America. So you can get an electrical system here and it can be certified or under-certified. If it's in a classified area, then it has to be certified as per NFPA standards. And then the trickier part gets in these pneumatic systems that don't have a North American recognized certification to be used. And again, you sort of describe some of the things that Neil Fisk would in, does include in their pneumatic systems, but they don't use the terminology certified for that. I think you guys use terminology like recommended to use or something along those lines, fit to use, something like that. Yeah, like they're yeah, they're meant to they're meant to work in those environments, but you can't like technically speaking, you can't say it's an explosion proof unit just because there's there's no way to have that certified they all are made with like atex rated certifications with like a european designation but nothing that is here in the us but the idea which is why which is why i wanted to make the the separation between our electric units and our nomadic units the big point is that we still make our nomadic units up to the same standard as our electrical units the only thing you're removing is that actual motor or that electrical component that's not on our nomadic versions, but everything else from the construction of the machine to the collect container to the accessories that we're using with it, we make sure that everything is conductive and it's all made with the same type of material. One just operates with air, one just operates with electricity. Makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned that the term there, explosion proof. I think there's also certified dust ignition proof that's talked about in the guide. Mm -hmm. 
what are those two terminologies, like the specific meaning that you mean when you, you say them there? First, only electrical equipment, as we mentioned, can be rated for explosion proof or designation proof designation, because you do kind of hear some of those terms used by by other companies at times, the explosion proof when it's not a electric unit, which, like I said, it kind of if we're going by the definition, it doesn't apply. So an explosion proof means the equipment prevents ignition of a gas or vapor surrounding the enclosure. Explosion proof equipment must be tested and confirmed by an NRTL, a nationally recognized testing laboratory, and is permitted for use in class one locations. A dust ignition proof means the equipment is enclosed to exclude dust and prevents arcs from causing ignition. This equipment must also be tested and confirmed by an NRTL, but this is only permitted for use in class two locations. So it's just another step of certification that you need to get for your machine to be full-blown EXP or explosion proof compared to being a certified dust ignition proof. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you kind of breaking it down for us that way. We talked about the pneumatic systems, what might be included in those sort of systems. If it's not NRTL kind of testing that's used to verify that's done in a, in a good way, are there other standards that you, that you are it's hard to have this conversation without saying the word certification, but not in the way that we mean it. So internationally certified processes, like are you able to certify against ATEX or are there any challenges with self-certification? What kind of things come into play when you start looking at pneumatic systems like that? I think with, with pneumatic systems, one thing, I think I mentioned it briefly, um, big thing is the collection container being stainless, the deflector and the inlet. Like I mentioned, that's when material is coming at a higher force. So you want to make sure you have something non-sparking or low sparking when it's coming into contact with it. And you could also test for continuity just to make sure that confirming that everything's bonded. Um, that's a big part of when you're working with these nomadic systems. You just want to make sure that it is completely ground, grounded and bonded. And um, there is a way for you to get, you know, an instrument to test that out and try that on your unit just to confirm that that's what you're getting. Because that's probably that's definitely the most important thing once you're working with a nomadic unit. Because obviously the construction itself is going to meet the standard, but you want to make sure it's properly grounded and bonded. If not, you can obviously run into an issue if that's not properly getting getting put down into the ground. So you got to make sure that you're you're putting your straps. You know, on on the inside of our equipment, you'll see that our our filter has a wiring that's connected to another part of our machine to make sure that it's bonded and grounded all the way through. So those are really the main things that you could do in terms of testing yourself. I would say, I would say those are the two biggest things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so we kind of talked through these different areas, right? We talked through the NFPA requirements for systems in unclassified locations, classified locations. The requirements are laid out and I think they have six or seven bullet points for use to clean up combustible dust in an area that's not classified. When is classified then depending on that classification and that will be determined through working with your authority having jurisdiction or on your dust hazard analysis or on your hazard area classification documentation however you're defining those different areas depending on what classification and division come out of that then you'll have different requirements and they need to be certified the systems need to be certified for that talk about electrical systems versus pneumatic systems what some of the different you know construction requirements might be there and the difference on certification requirements for that as well. And as I sort of said at the outset, this the reason that I, I 
want to get Roger on was that this guide was really helpful to read through that. It's about uh, 15 pages and just talks through all these points, bullet point by bullet point. And I found it really educational to, to go through myself. Any last kind of comments, Roger, today to leave the audience off with on portable vacuum systems, on certification, on some of these more technical topics we talked about? What, what sticks out as your mind is the, the last thing to leave people off with before we, we call it a day? Doing your due diligence in terms of making sure that you are getting all these questions answered. We were all, everything we're talking about is about knowing kind of what your dust is. Like you're, you're as dangerous as what you know. So you should know what kind of dust you're working with. You should really know what environment you're working with. So the importance of kind of getting those other resources and support. So like on our side, we, we think it's the site assessment is one of the most crucial things to making decision um, on your vacuum. You want to make sure that you have somebody that's going in there who understands the environment that you're working with and is kind of an expert. You know, you want an expert on industrial vacuums that can make sure they're getting you the right solution for those units. Somebody who's going to kind of walk you through the process, not kind of just tell you what you want to hear. You know, you, you obviously walk into locations where maybe somebody doesn't know what, what, their, what their dust analysis is because they've never done one. And they're like, oh, well, you know, considering this, don't you think this would be fine? And that's where you always got to be like, no, you should, that should never be kind of the way you go about deciding these units. This is obviously something that is, is really serious and can risk, you know, people's lives at the end of the day because an explosion and can turn into something a lot worse. It's not just about, you know, a, a business or a company. It's about like, there's people's lives at stake if you don't go about things the right way. So just making sure that you're doing your due diligence, doing your proper research on the vacuums, not just allowing some of the buzzwords like intrinsically safe or, or explosion proof. Make sure you're doing your due diligence on, um, on what you're purchasing and have the right kind of support when going through that process. So just being as educational, I guess like uh, in, to say it in a shorter way, being as educational as possible when you're deciding on something this serious, you know, because the last thing you need is to put in the wrong equipment into a facility because you didn't do your proper research and then you run into an incident. So you, you basically did half the work, got a vacuum, but you got the wrong one and now you're still dealing with issues. So I think that's definitely the most, the most important piece. Then it makes a lot of sense. And I would say it is a bit of a technical area. And if you are going down this route of, of trying to understand what sort of systems you need to be using for the material you're collecting, I mean, Roger, Roger said it, you, you kind of need to have some assessment of what your current conditions are so that you know what kind of dust you're handling. Are they combustible dust under what sections of the, the facility is it going to be a combustible dust? What kind of hazard you're dealing with? And then making a smart decision about what type of equipment to use. And that's where having an expert come in to, to look at your system is a really good step. So a good way to do that, again, is this guide from No Fisk. We'll have a way to download this at the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 207. We'll also have a way to contact Roger to ask him any technical questions. Again, this is not my area of expertise <laughs> to say, <laughs> but it is, uh, it is something that's really important. And if you've got through the hump of realizing that you need to clean up the dust in a safe manner, which is even a, a big educational challenge that I'm sure you're dealing with and that, that we are as well, then you want to make sure you're doing that in a safe way. And that's sort of what this episode's about is to share some of those you know, important terminology and things you're going to start to come across when you're trying to understand what the safe way to do that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, man. Making sure that you, you know, you're doing your due diligence. Like once again, like making sure that whoever you're working with, that they have the proper documentation to follow up what they say their, their unit has, you know, make sure that 
you're thorough in, in asking for that information, like the same way. I know it's going to sound corny, but you know, you have all these commercials with cars and it's like, you want to see the car facts. And it's, if, if someone, someone can sell you, it can sell you a great story, but if they can't back it up and actually give you the documentation to prove what their vacuum can do, then it's just words. So you got to make sure that you have somebody that, that can provide that for you. So you have that peace of mind. And when OSHA comes knocking on your door and they want to make sure that you have what you need, you can just go show them that documentation, show them that you have the right unit, show them that certification. And, you know, obviously the more important thing here is saving lives and making sure that we're not, you know, no one's getting injured in the process, but it's also still a business. So something else that companies worry about is getting fined and losing money. So having the right unit with the right documentation uh, goes a long way in terms of keeping your people safe and keeping your money safe. Yeah, for sure. I think we'll probably get some questions on this episode. So as we, we collect those and get them together, maybe we'll get a chance to get Roger back on here in the future, digging into some of these topics more. I, I do want to say thank you for your time today, Roger. Thank you for working through some of the technical internet-based challenges that we had getting the, the episode out. <laughs> um, but I appreciate the chance and look forward to having you back on the podcast in the future. Yeah, Chris, man, appreciate you uh, for having having me on and being able to represent Nilfus on the podcast. And by all means, man, if you... Uh, if you need me on here for uh, to answer some more questions and kind of go a little bit deeper into this debate, I'm always happy to do that. So keep me in mind and uh, happy holidays. Hopefully you're not moving too slow after. Uh, oh, we're not. Well, I guess you cut this because we're, we're we're posting this in uh, a later time, not after Thanksgiving. That's okay. We're recording the the Monday after Thanksgiving for the audience, um, but this will probably come out in, in January or so. So uh, yeah, holiday piece, I guess we'll be recovering from that. Yeah, exactly. Making sure everyone's not moving too slowly after Christmas and New Year's, you're moving, maybe not as slow as Thanksgiving, but there's some, uh, there's definitely some after effects. Awesome. Thanks, Roger. We'll be talking soon. All right, Chris, take care. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Roger Guerra, business development manager for Nilfisk based out of Miami, Florida, and he covers the Eastern division for Nilfisk. We talk about certification of portal vacuum systems. And again, this was based off some reading I did at this guide, Combustible Dust Myth Busting Guide, the Nilfisk put out, the facts you need to stay safe. And when I read through it, and as you can probably tell in the podcast interview, this isn't an area that I know as much about as some other areas in combustible dust. But that's why I found it really valuable when I read through the document, because it gave, you know, step by step, here is what you need in this circumstance, here's what you need in this circumstance, this is what this standard says, this is what ATEC says. This is what definition of explosion proof means. This is what the definition of dust ignition proof means. And this is how the pieces fit together. This is what you need to be in full compliance. This is what you want to do if you want to use a different type of system and you know what the kind of things you should be looking out for. And it was just really helpful for me. And I've actually shared the, the download link with a few people already just saying when they have a question about vacuum systems, this, this is how it lays it all out. So that's where the genesis of this episode came from. So we talked through a whole number of talks with topics with Roger, both the requirements of NFPA. You can go to nfpa.org slash 654 or nfpa.org slash 652. You should be able to view the current edition of either of those standards. We go to chapter eight in either management systems, down to housekeeping, and then to the section on cleaning methods. It talks about some of these requirements that we discussed today. Requirements for use of vacuum systems in unclassified areas to clean up combustible dust, requirements for use of systems inside classified areas where there may be a hazard outside the vacuum system so the, the vacuum itself doesn't become an ignition source hazard in that area. Then we went to a number of topics around you know uh, explosion proof, 
MAG systems versus electrical systems. What kind of uh, methods are used to ensure that you have grounding and bonding throughout the entire system? I mean, some testing around that. Again, it is a pretty detailed topic. So if you have any questions, you can always reach out to myself, Chris at dustsafetyscience.com. We will get an expert uh, back on the podcast or get Roger back on the podcast to talk about this. We'll have his contact details, again, in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 207. I'll have a link there somehow to also um, get access to this combustible dust mist busting guide so you can understand more about these portal vacuum systems. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I appreciate the work that you're doing out there every day, making industry safer that you're working with. And I hope you have a safe week ahead and happy Christmas and holidays to everyone that's there listening to the podcast now. And at the time we're recording, it's actually just after Thanksgiving, but we do appreciate everyone tuning in to start the year in 2023, keeping facilities safe with combustible dust. So we'll talk soon. 